Thank you for listening to the Sacred Commons podcast. If you want to help support us in this work, please visit our website. If anything, just check it out. But if you feel inclined to give, you can do so by visiting thesacredcommons.com. Click on give. Every single cent has an immediate impact and helps us continue to do this. event in the gospel reading is called the Transfiguration, and it's one of the greatest and also one of the strangest miracles. Um, great, it's often put alongside the nativity and the baptism in the Jordan and the ascension as one of the, the seminal moments in his ministry. And also strange, it's one that we probably don't talk about as much, and it kind of seems to come out of nowhere, that it doesn't have a clear antecedent and no clear immediate consequence afterwards. It's, when they go up onto the mountain, they, there's no immediate need, like when he fed the hungry, or the 5,000, or when he healed the sick, that throughout the Gospels when you see that you know, a sick person's approaching Jesus, you probably know what's about to happen next. And this is a little different. We... When it kind of gets, I'm going to say, glossed over sometimes in Sunday school, we kind of hear a, a clipped version of it that they go up to the mountain, there's the, the dazzling light, like a, a sort of light show, and then they see Elijah and Moses there, and then the cloud comes, God's voice booms, and then they depart. And it all kind of seems very strange. What, what does this mean? How does, what, what is the, the miraculous nature here, and why does it last so long in in history is one of the great moments in his ministry. And so take a moment to think of it from the disciples' perspective, that they go up this mountain to pray, the, the three go up this mountain to pray with Jesus. It's a moment of 
usually calmness and serenity that they, they pray and there's a peace that descends among them. And then all of a sudden, this dazzling whiteness, this, it says that his robe is changed, that his face, in some translations, says his face shines like the sun. And if you think of that, if you ever had a, like a high school chemistry class where they burn phosphorus and the teacher says, now don't look at this because it's so bright. The, the sun is so bright you can't look at it. So in the middle of this prayer, all of a sudden he's so bright that they can't look directly at him and they, they don't know what's going on. And then they, they kind of get there, but okay, the, the three of us are still here and then there's two more that they, they must come over time to realize from the conversation that this is Moses and Eliza, two of the greatest figures in Hebrew history that they're talking, that Christ is talking with. And it, it doesn't record what was said except for that this was about the, um, the departure to Jerusalem. Probably, as it says in the next verse, that they, they feel weighed down by sleep but stayed awake. Essentially, they, they were so awe-inspired, they were on the verge of fainting. One of the first things that angels say when they appear is, don't be afraid, because it's terrifying is what it is. This, sudden light coming out of nowhere, this disorientation. And then just as they're, again, kind of getting their bearings again, Peter says, let's build dwellings for, for Eliza and for you and for, for Moses. And it immediately kind of dismisses this idea. And at first glance, it's hard to say, what, what's, what's he even proposing? And why is it immediately dismissed as a bad idea? I'll get to that in a minute. But before that's even answered, then the cloud descends. And it says they're terrified. You can imagine going from this brilliant white light that they can't even look at to a thick fog, this cloud descending on the mountain that terrifies them, and then the booming voice of God all around them saying, this is my son, my chosen, listen to him. And then all of a sudden it, it departs. The, the cloud clears, and it's only Jesus there. Eliza and Moses have departed as well. And it, it goes from that to then saying that they, they depart the mountain and that they don't speak of it in those days. And that's something that happens a lot in his miracles. Sometimes it's called the, the messianic secret. But that as he would perform a miracle and then would immediately say to them, now don't talk about this. In, the, um, in that time, there's a misunderstanding of what the coming of the Messiah would mean. That there's so often a pattern of that the, the Israelites were, were conquered by Egypt or Babylon or Persia, and then they would, when their faith would falter, and then they would kind of restore their faith, they would rise up, and kind of have an earthly government that would prosper. And this shows that there's something very different going on, that in this they see a bit of the, the heavenly kingdom, that... Address something I said earlier, it seems to come out of nowhere. But just before this, in Luke, something important happens. This is mentioned in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And there's actually a kind of a reference to it early in the, the Gospel of John. But that immediately before this, Christ is talking to his disciples in the gathered crowd and says that not everyone here will taste death before seeing the coming of the kingdom. Um, sometimes in the Greek it's translated as the royal splendor. And that was first interpreted as, okay, maybe that the, the second coming or the, the end of the world or the coming of Christ will be in this first generation of Christians. It's now often interpreted that this transfiguration, that this is seeing that the, the three disciples here saw the coming of the kingdom in this transfiguration, that they saw a bit of heaven on earth and a bit of this dazzling glory in that moment of the transfiguration. It also harkens a bit earlier 
when Peter announces, or is asked by Christ, you know, who do they say I am? And he says that some say that you're Eliza, some say that you're a prophet. And so here it's very clear that Peter had said that he knows that he's the son of God, that he's not Moses or Eliza, Moses or Eliza were there, and that he is God, that he is divine, that they see that in the transfiguration, which also brings us to the kind of immediate need that was there. We talk about, or I had said earlier, he's not feeding the 5,000, he's not healing the sick, but what he knows is that he's going to be going into Jerusalem, that he's going to be taking up his cross. And it's something that the disciples continuously resist or don't understand, which is also why Peter talks about building these dwelling places. In, in some translations, it calls, you know, build tents here or booths or this dwelling place. In the first reading, it talks about Moses kind of meeting God in a tent and having a veil over his face when he's outside and unveiled. In the, the Hebrew consciousness, there is this idea that during the desert, unlike when Christ or when God appeared or was thought to dwell in the temple, that God would meet with Moses in this tent while they were in the desert. And so this talking of building a dwelling place is a, this misunderstanding that, okay, well, Eliza's here and Moses is here and you know, the divine presence is here, and so we can stay on this mountain, we can build these dwelling places on this mountain and keep this bit of heaven on earth. At the very time that he was just talking with them about his departure to Jerusalem, so this complete misunderstanding by Peter and the others about you know, this desire to both keep heaven on earth when the time is coming closer for him to take up his cross. His, he's revealing to his disciples that his kingdom is not of this world. That the disciples don't understand this yet, but instead of a kingdom that's going to have you know, freedom from Rome and positive GDP growth in the third quarter of last year, that it's going to be this incomprehensible, unknowable, unfathomable glory like they had just seen a piece of a moment ago, that their, their, their mortal eyes and their mortal frames can, could scarcely take it. But even terrified, Peter wants to stay there. Peter wants to build dwelling places there to keep that, again, even as they're going to take up their cross. And so this is to help bolster them, that this is to, to educate them and inform them to both see this glory to kind of strengthen their spirit before going into Jerusalem, before seeing the things that they would see, the, the humiliations and the eventual death that they would see in Jerusalem. But it's a, they see this in that moment to, to strengthen their spirits so that they can know, but this isn't an earthly kingdom, it's a heavenly kingdom, it's a greater reality that they're moving towards. And that's what the message is to us. There's actually the immediate story after this in the reading um, is a man comes up to Jesus saying that his son is possessed and that they tried to go to the disciples and that the disciples were unable to cast out the demon. And Jesus casts out the demon, but also gets a little snippy with him. And that's also kind of a weird moment. But if you think about it, it says that it happened the day after of the, the transfiguration. And that you know, when Christ says, his, you know, a person with the faith of a mustard seed can move mountains. And right after this, this transfiguration that's supposed to prepare the disciples to be able to 
go into Jerusalem and see the, the scourging and the crucifixion, their faith still is inadequate to adequately yell at a demon. And so he, he's frustrated there. And we kind of see this pattern throughout, that in the Old Testament, uh, God uses miracles and builds up the kingdom of Israel, and then Israel kind of falls away. And he builds them up again, and they fall away. And Jesus leads his disciples the same way. He shows miracles and builds their spirit, and then as soon as it becomes difficult, they begin to fall away again. And this pattern continues into today, that even today is with God leading the church, and there's times where we're full of energy and full of spirit about that, and then kind of as soon as it becomes uncomfortable, where we worry about our own safety and security and comfort and finances, we begin to kind of fall away. But Jesus is, and God is ever-present in this, that no matter how many times we falter, he lifts us up. And so in the transfiguration, we see three, three great things. That first, there's these kind of glimpses of the, the awesome reality that awaits us, these glimpses of glory, these visions of heaven. And all of us have these moments where we feel God's presence, where we're inspired, where we're, we're awestruck. And that a part of this is to strengthen our spirit for the work that we have to do, to kind of nurture this sense of gratefulness that when we have gratefulness for the blessings God gives us, it's not just a, a respect of an acknowledgement that, that he had given us to us, but he also wants us to be grateful because if we're aware of our blessings, it restores our spirit, that he knows that gratefulness isn't just for him, it's for us, that this sense of gratefulness builds our own spirit, restores our soul. And just like in the Transfiguration, not only do they have this vision, but then it's for carrying their cross, all of us have our own place within the church. All of us have our own work to be done. All of us have our own cross to bear. And so just as God sends us these glimpses of heaven and these glimpses of all to strengthen our spirit, he also calls us to pick up our cross. And thirdly, it shows that this, this ultimate reality is what awaits us, that this, this vision of heaven, that the faith and strength that we are in the world but not of it, and that we do this work because one day heaven and earth, will, there will be a new heaven, a new earth. They'll come together as one. So in this transfiguration and throughout the Old Testament and in our lives today, God shows us his heavenly light to send us into the world that we might bring it to all of his creation. And one day see the new heaven and new earth totally illuminated and transfigured by the work of his love. And that's the the lesson of this transfiguration. Amen. Lord, make us instruments of your peace. Where there is hatred, let us sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is discord, union. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. Where there is sadness, joy. Grant that we may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive. It is in pardoning that we are pardoned. And it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. Amen. Amen.